Kate Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Hello everybody and you're very welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, series 3, episode 4. In this show, we like to visit the places of your Irish ancestors and bring their stories to life. And today's show, we are going back to school. Yes, you heard me correctly. We're off back to school and the year is 1937. Before I get stuck in, do remember now that any resources or references we mention in the episode, and I'm sure you'll like to make note of them today, you'll find them in our show notes at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 304. I'm not sure if I ever told you, but once upon a time, I was a primary school teacher. I taught many classes, all age groups from four years up to 12. Now, I'm telling you today, I'm telling you this for a reason. You see, the topic of our show today caught my interest because it involved a very special event that took place many years ago in Irish schools. You know, if I had been a primary school teacher back in 1937 and was teaching sixth class pupils or 12-year-olds at that time, a very exciting and memorable event would have occurred in my classroom. My pupils and I would have been asked to take part in a scheme and it was called the school's manuscripts collection. Because in 1938 in the Irish Free State, now that's the 26 counties of Ireland, homework for my class that night would have been for the children to go home to their families and neighbours and write down the stories that their families would have told them about life at that time in Ireland. I'd have had a lot of standard exercise copies, one to hand out to each pupil, and they would have recorded in their best handwriting, of course, and it was pencil, the food they ate, the games they played, stories told by their parents and grandparents about famous local people, some stories about holy wells or diseases, cures and herbs, and local fairs and lots more. The school children recorded the oral tradition of their home place and some of these stories, they would have links going way back in folklore and back in time. It must have been fun for the children to chat to their family and neighbours and collect the stories, a little bit different than the usual homework. But the magic now is that we have this snapshot of Irish tradition to help us connect and really see what life was like for people at that time. Many of our readers on the Letter from Ireland and Green Room members like Cathy and Phyllis, whose stories I'm going to tell you about in today's show, fell under the spell of this collection as it brought them right back to their ancestors' home in Ireland and truly brought their stories to life. Why don't we begin with Cathy and what she discovered in the school's collection? Here's Mike's Letter from Ireland called A Magical Happening in the Schools of Ireland. Let's listen in to what we discover for Cathy about her Irish homeland, County Monaghan, in one of those precious school copybooks. So here we go with Mike's letter, A Magical Happening in the Schools of Ireland. Now, let me ask you a question. Did you enjoy school? Was there much learning to be had? 
For many of us, school was a mixed bag of imparted wisdom, rote learning and playing with friends. But we all went through it together, so that made it all right. My own parents' generation, they attended school in the 1930s in rural Cork and Galway and typically left school about the age of 12 to tend to the farm, pursue apprenticeships or maybe help to raise the family. School was the place they attended for a few short years, sitting quietly until called upon, and the learning all happened in one direction. But then in the late 1930s, the tables were turned and the educators decided to learn something from the children. You see, the Irish Folklore Commission got the Irish Teachers Organisation on board for a singular experiment that succeeded brilliantly. Starting in 1937 and over an 18-month period, children in 5,000 primary schools across what was then called the Irish Free State were asked to go home and ask their parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents and neighbours about the stories, customs, history and proverbs of the area. The children wrote these stories into their copybooks and brought them back to the school for sharing and collecting by the Folklore Commission. If you think about it, a living memory in the late 1930s would go all the way back to the time of the famine. And as for folk memories, well, that would take you back many hundreds of years. This full set of responses became known as the school's manuscript collection and it captured an extraordinary amount of folk knowledge that may well have faded from memory over subsequent generations. Now, a couple of weeks back, we headed up to County Monaghan on behalf of one of our readers, Cathy Callan, who gave us the following. My surnames in this part of Ireland are Callan, C-A-L-L-A-N, and Ward, W-A-R-D. I have a marriage record for Pat Callan and Margaret Ward in 1852, and then I see Margaret as a widow in the 1901 and 1911 census. They had a large family, with many emigrating to Montana, but a couple of their children remained in Ireland. Brothers William, Frank and my great-grandfather Dennis ran a Callan Brothers farm in Mill Creek outside Anaconda, Montana. So, the surname she was looking for were the Callans and Wards. This part of Ireland is also full of Duffys, McMahons, MacArdles, Connollys, McKennas and Carls. You know, perhaps some of these names are in your family tree. Well, we shared some of our record discoveries with Cathy and then found the target townland that she was looking for. And it went by the name of Tapla, T-A-P-L-A-G-H. We also found the old churches and the cemeteries there. So we decided to back up our research then with a visit to the school's manuscript collection that I mentioned above, just to see what we discover. Up to recently, this collection was sitting in a room behind a library and only available for viewing by appointment. Now it's available online for all to browse and use. So straight away, the collection threw up local entries for the townland and surnames. We found local ballads, 
one that was composed by a man called O'Duffy, a head schoolmaster in the area up to the early 1850s. It was called Sally of Bracca Valley. Being out one morning for recreation, down by the new chapel I chanced to stray, I met a creature, the pride of nature, who appeared to me like the Queen of May. Well, what I loved about our visit to Monaghan was that we were actually standing in the remains of that new chapel as we read the song. Not new anymore now. Then we came across another variation of that local song from the collection, and this time we noted it was composed by a Callan from the townland of Tapla. You remember that Cathy was looking for Callan. So here is an excerpt. It said, For my name is Sally from Bracca Valley and my rural cot is in Tapla town. Her learned father was a titled baron and she had an uncle of high degree and by his mission he became physician and inspector general to her majesty. So there we had found the Callan surname mentioned in the school's collection. Now, this was a nice find, as it would have been a relative of Cathy, our green remember that we mentioned earlier. Finally, I found a story called The Boycotting of Tom McMahon, and it tells of the local goings-on around Tapla following the eviction of the local reverend. However, the most notable thing is that it was collected by a local lad called Patrick Callan. Yet another cousin of our reader mentioned. Wasn't that a marvellous keepsake to have? Now, Mike finishes the letter and asks a question of us all. He asks, I wonder if your ancestral townland is mentioned in this collection. Perhaps you can find one of your family names and maybe a mention or two of one of your very own relatives. If you come across a story that resonates with you, do feel free to let us know. Many thanks to Cathy for steering us in the direction of the wonderful place that is County Monaghan and supplying us with the details of her relatives for the article. So, thanks Mike also for that letter on the school's collection. Cathy was delighted with the mention of her surnames and relatives and their townland of Tapla, all written about, as we discovered in that collection, by the school children in 1937 and 1938. Well now, Listeners, who wouldn't want a peek at those stories, especially if they tell the story about your people and home place in Ireland? So I got curious myself. And would you believe I went when I was preparing this show and had a look at the collection myself and guess what I found? I put in my own local area where my dad and family and I had grown up. And there was my own very aunt, my father's older sister, and two stories that she had written while in Novelands National School in County Cork. Well, I quickly did the maths to make sure it was her. Yes, she was 12 and a half in 1938. So my aunt now has passed away, as have all of my father's family. So for me, I found it riveting to look into her world and I even found myself examining her her handwriting. Now, I told you before, all the writing was in pencil and it just it just added an extra special element to be able to read and know that it was her handwriting too. 
And I know that my father would have loved that collection when he was alive. He would have loved to read those stories of the local area because he was a man who lived all his life in Ovens County Cork and was very proud of his home place. Now, he did like to travel too, but he only ventured away for holidays and he was always very happy to return to the place of his birth. He loved his home place and now I think I have this collection to read and I'll catch up on tales that he might have heard as a young fella about ovens and tales I now would love to hear him tell if only we had the chance. So it really is, um, even for us living here in Ireland or from those from afar, this online school's manuscript collection is a true gem of a resource. And maybe some of you have seen the collection already. And if you haven't, though, do take a look in our show notes because we'll include a link to the collection there at a letter from Ireland.com forward slash 304. And we hope you enjoy many happy hours browsing through that collection. It's addictive. And when you get started, it's hard to let it go. We certainly are grateful that such a rich resource of Irish folk history is there now for us all to appreciate, use and enjoy. And this, this brings me to a question that we're often here asked in the, by Green Room members, and maybe you're wondering about it yourself. Many w- members wonder and frequently ask us, what was life like for our ancestors back in Ireland before they emigrated? Part of that answer I think you can now find in the stories collected by those sixth class children in the school's collection. I know they were recording the stories in 1937, but remember, as we said, they spoke to maybe people in their 80s, so now the memories are stretching back to the famine and in folklore way back again. So, have you ever wondered what life was like in Ireland at the time your ancestors lived here? If you have, do listen in now to our next letter, as it's based around one reader's recent letter to Mike. Uh, Phyllis wrote to Mike, and towards the end of the letter... Mike directs her to a very special and unique resource that tells us a lot about Irish life in the olden days through stories and Irish folklore. Yes, you guessed it. It was the school's collection. But here Phyllis gets a glimpse of her ancestor's life through that collection. First, let me introduce you to Phyllis McNeil from Connecticut. Her ancestors came from a small island off the west coast of Ireland. Now, listeners, you're in for a treat, as I asked Mike Collins, author of The Letter from Ireland and chief of The Green Room, into the studio today to help with the letter. Mike and I'll read the letter together and I'll read Phyllis's part. So, Mike, you're very welcome to The Letter from Ireland show and thanks for popping in. Great to be here, Karina. And, you know, I remember Phyllis's letter well and I'd be delighted to read it with you. So here we go with the letter and Phyllis writes to say... Dear Mike, my name is Phyllis McNeil and I live in Connecticut, USA. My interest in genealogy grew from a continual pushing by my mother-in-law and father to pursue the family history. My mother-in-law, a wonderful lady, started her genealogy on her Scottish ancestry days back when nothing was digitized and you had to travel to areas to find documentation. Of course, even with digitization of records today, the true genealogist still travels to see and feel the history of the place of their ancestors, as well as taking a few pictures. Since my initial push, I've been looking into the past for 20 plus years, but I left the Irish side of the family until last. 
I was told many times that that was a wise move as it was very difficult to pursue Irish ancestry due to the destruction and lack of records. Do you know, Karina, I think you have that Connecticut accent absolutely nailed. I just want to say it before we go on. Right. Uh, Okay. Now, nice to meet you, Phyllis. Perhaps it was a wise idea to leave the Irish side until last as you hone those genealogy skills on a more forgiving line of your ancestry. However, I found that the general statement that many of the Irish records have been destroyed, which is indeed partly true, but it causes some people to give up prematurely. I do like how you've discovered how important it is to feel the history of the place of your ancestors and not just rely on those records. Yeah, many people have family stories that help with the Irish pursuit of genealogy. My mother's family, from which the Irish ancestry comes, never talked about the past. So there are few Irish tales to add to this story, except when it comes to food. My mother always loved to tell the story of how she loved to stay over at her grandmother's house on a Saturday night. On Saturday night, Nana Parks would bake Irish soda bread, the brown bread, and beans for Sunday morning breakfast. Mum would relish telling that story, and she'd said her mouth would water just thinking of it. You know, I can smell the bread as you say it. Nothing like fresh soda bread made with buttermilk. (laughs) The only thing our family remembers of the Irish side was the Dwyers from County Cork, and the Moylans and Carls, they were from County Mayo. We never heard anything else about our Irish ancestry. Of course, when I began my Irish research, nothing was digitised, and that was all I had to go on. I have since found that the Dwyers were indeed from Cork, Grinan, Bear, Castletown, Bear. Margaret Dwyer was the daughter of Michael Dwyer and Honora O'Brien. She was born in Bear Island on the 20th of October, 1864, and her brother John was born on the 17th of February, 1862. Funny thing about her birth date, I got a lot of pushback from the family when I found out that date. They said emphatically that that was not true, even though I had the documents. They told me, my mother's cousins, that Nana's birthday was always celebrated on Halloween. She said that that was her birthday and Nana was not a person to disagree with. Her word was solid. Now, isn't it great that you have those names, places and dates? Bear Island is a very beautiful part of the world. I was taught by two brothers from those part, who we used to call Shawnee and Barry Hanley. And there's still many Hanleys in the area today. Also, how interesting that the two names of Dwyer and O'Brien did not come from those parts originally, but out of Clare and Tipperary. Well, Margaret Dwyer met her future husband when she arrived in the US as a young girl to become a domestic for the Parks family in Bedford, Massachusetts. I'm still trying to figure out her arrival date, but this fits what I found for a ship leaving Queenstown and going to Boston in 1878, with a 13-year-old girl, Mary Dwyer, and her brother Matthew, aged 16, although his name would have been John. Henry George Parks's wife, Rosanna Martin, died of consumption at age 35 in 1878, leaving him with six young children. In 1892, Margaret married the oldest son, my great-grandfather, George Henry Parks. Their first son, George C. Parks, was my mother's father and my grandfather. And they lived in New Bedford for a time where the first four of their nine children were born and then they relocated to Springfield, Massachusetts. What a lot of information. Very useful information, but that's a lot to digest. 
But, you know, it does sound like your Mary was well-liked in the Parks family and especially by George. Nine children, isn't that some size of a family? Now, you mentioned that the Mary on the ship might be yours with the Matthew, and of course, it is a probability. I think that it's wonderful that you have her birthplace and date in Ireland. Yeah, I already have a detailed genealogy report for Margaret, her family, and the other names in the family, O'Dwyer, O'Sullivan, O'Brien, and Mead. I've been working with the Bear Island Heritage Centre. You who have been really wonderful, especially Caroline McCarthy in the Heritage Centre. And I've been reading Robert O'Dwyer's Annals, Volume 1 to 3, which I got as a Christmas present this year, and digesting the research I did when I was myself in Dublin. Now, that must have been some busy Christmas for you there. You know, it's hard not to have an O'Sullivan surname in that area. It was by far the most dominant name. Of course, you've also hit goal with Ribard, a relation of yours, capturing the main people and events of the island down through the centuries. I think most of us on the island of Ireland would be delighted to have such a compendium in our hands. I've been to Ireland four times, Mike, twice in the late 1970s and then twice last year, Dublin and then to the southwest coast of Ireland, including, of course, Bear Island during the worst hurricane, Hurricane Ophelia and Storm Brian. On my trip to Bear Island, I was disappoint, disappointed not to find gravestones for Margaret's parents who died in 1909. I learned that death was not usually memorized this way and that many people were just buried in the churchyard and sometimes later if the family had money they would then erect a headstone there were some headstones for dwyers o'brien sullivan the island is loaded with people of this name in fact i learned that my o'sullivan were the kohus the providers separate names were given to large families to differentiate the branches Similar to what I found out with my French ancestry and the use of DIT, D-I-T, and D-I-T-E. Now, that was a big gap between your visits, Phyllis, and I guess you experienced the devastation Ophelia caused in many parts of the country. Now, a comment on gravestones. While headstone memorials were not common in the poorer west of Ireland, a stone marker was typically laid in such a manner that it could be found by a family member. Gravestones were difficult to afford for many until the 1920s with the advent of the credit unions. One of the first items that a local would save for was access to a decent burial and headstone for their family. I've come across individuals buried right up to the 1970s, would you believe, without any markers, but that was more because they didn't have any surviving family. On the nicknames, that became quite standard practice when a particular surname dominated a geographical area for decades and centuries. The question remaining for Margaret are threefold. When did she come over to the US? What happened to her brother John? The family lore was that when she was settled, he went to Australia and was never heard from again. And what was life like on Bear Island during the famine and when she was growing up 20 years after the famine? Now, it's hard for me to answer your first two questions right here and now, Phyllis. But for the third part, I have some thoughts. First, Bear Island would have been insulated somewhat from the worst effects of the famine, although that was probably just marginally, given that it had, uh, or it was, such a large army outpost in Coast Guard Station. It was also opposite one of the main fishing ports on the island of, on the island of Ireland in Castletown Bear. Now, however, people like your Margaret still wanted to improve their lot in life and probably heard positive news from friends and neighbours who had left the area for the new world. If you look at the population for the island, and here goes, 
if we go right back to 1841, let's say um, at the height of its population previous to the famine, there was 2,122 people. And that represented a peak, as I just mentioned there, following a massive growth across Ireland in population in the early 1800s. Now, if we jump forward to 1881, that had almost halved to 1,075 people. And that was just after your Margaret left the island. The population had gone down as, as a result of emigration, migration and death during the famine. Margaret was probably surrounded by empty houses and ruins for a lot of her childhood and stories of the families who had once lived within them. If we go all the way forward to closer to the present actually, to 1971, believe it or not, the population had dropped from 1,075 in 1881 to 288 persons in 1971. Now, I put this year and number here, as this was a time when Ireland reached its lowest population point due to emigration. From that point onwards, it started to grow again and keeps growing today. However, by 2006, it was out to 187 persons. You see, islands have their own challenges, even one such as Bear Island, which is close to the mainland, and the population continues to decline even today. Now, Another aspect of what life was like for your Margaret included the stories, place names and characters that surrounded her. Irish people had a tradition of passing so much down the generations orally and few of these stories were captured on paper. However, in the 1930s a project was launched around the country where teachers asked their young students to go home and talk with older relatives and neighbours to capture some of the stories of their townland or village. Now this has resulted in a wonderful folklore archive which has been made available online called the Schools Collection. Remember, these school kids were gathering stories that reached back centuries and from people whose living memories reached back to famine times in some cases. Your own Margaret came from the townland of Ballinakilla on Bear Island and here we have some stories gathered from the national school in that area. To share just one entry with you, and remembering your family's stories of food, here is part of a story about Food in Olden Times by Mary O'Sullivan. And she gathered the following story. Long ago, the people ate three meals a day. In the morning, they ate griddle cakes, buttermilk and honey, and for the dinner, they ate fish and milk and potatoes, and they ate the same for supper. Now, isn't that special to see those memories captured through the understanding of a child? So, Phyllis... If you want to get a strong, strong flavour of what life was like on Bear Island through the 1800s and into the mid part of the 1900s, then I suggest you have a look at the folk collection from Balnakilla Townland and we'll include those in the show notes. And for the rest of our readers, we will add that link to the show notes uh, for the entire collection and just check out aletafromireland.com forward slash 304 and hopefully you'll find your own ancestral location in them. Thanks, Mike, and warm regards from Chile, Connecticut, where the Northeasters never seem to cease this winter. Phyllis. Well, I hope the weather has improved at this point, and thank you very much for sharing those memories of Margaret Dubair Parks. Another great letter from Mike, 
And thanks, Mike, for dropping into our show, because I know you're very busy with research and planning that next letter from Ireland, and it comes out each Sunday. If anybody listening would like to receive their own letter from Ireland, you can see a link to the letter in the show notes at a letterfromireland.com forward slash three zero four. Hasn't time flown? And that's it for this week. A very warm thanks to all our friends in the green room and our readers on the letter from Ireland. And I hope you all enjoyed hearing about the school's collection and how it helped Cathy and Phyllis to get a glimpse of life at the time of their Irish ancestors. Remember, listeners, it's your connection, friendship and stories that make it a joy to be part of this great venture we have together, exploring our Irish heritage. And perhaps one of your ancestors has written down the story of your Irish homeland. If so, we'd love to hear from you and you can let your comments and check out more at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 304. Now, do have a look at that collection because you'd never know what's waiting in there to be discovered. We look forward to you joining us again on our next week's Letter from Ireland show. So everybody, slán till next week. That's goodbye in Irish. And for the week ahead, I have a saying for you in Irish. It's called Tog Gabuggy, which really means take it easy. Tog Gabuggy, Slán. Just before we go, thanks again for listening. And if you have enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we invite you to check out our special membership area called The Green Room. You can find full details of The Green Room at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room and remember there green room is all one word the green room is the essential resource for anyone at any stage in researching their irish heritage it's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and connect the pieces in your irish ancestry puzzle you get access to online genealogists extensive research tools quick win training as well as member only access to johngrenham.com and a supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The Green Room is the perfect place to be for anyone starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So do come and join us at aletterfromireland.com forward slash green room. Well, that's it for me. And I'll be back next week with another installment of The Letter from Ireland Show. Look forward to chatting with you then. Slán. Karina.